Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I love trees. One way that you can learn a lot about someone in a short amount of time is by figuring out which stores in the mall they frequented as a kid. This intro may really just hit home for millennials and Gen X, but, you know, whatever. Me personally, I always had to check out the hippie stores like Earthbound. I really dug all that Eastern philosophy stuff and like the laid-back kind of fashion with soft, swishy fabrics, but I spent most of my time checking out the incense. You know, the skinny little sticks that you light up and they have all sorts of different funky scents that make you think, oh, this person is trying to cover up a different funky scent that they don't want their parents to find out about. But today, I think back on all those funky scents and recognize that they come from trees and other plants. Sometime long ago, humans got a good whiff of a real fragrant tree, and it mellowed them out, so they decided to meditate under it. Sometime later, humans just decided to take the tree home with them. One such tree whose scent shows up in a number of contexts is sandalwood. I chose this tree-based fragrance because I feel it's fairly common and mild enough to be widely enjoyed. And also, there's that great mystery of what the wood has to do with sandals, because I assure you, it does not smell like feet. But aside from being relaxing and covering up other smells, sandalwood is a tree whose scent holds significance in ancient religious practices across South Asia. Where did the name come from? What all is it used for? And how does it affect our lives today? start with that name, sandalwood. Right off the bat, it has nothing to do with flip-flops. The word sandal in this context is derived from the Sanskrit word chandra, which is the name for wood that is burned as incense. So sandalwood is incense wood, perhaps suggesting that it was one of the earliest woods used for such a purpose if it has such a direct translation like that. The Sanskrit language is considered the classical language of the Indus Valley region, similar to how Latin and Greek are the classical languages of Europe. It is the predecessor to languages common in India and Pakistan like Hindi, Urdu, Punjabi, and a lot more. All of these languages, including Sanskrit, Latin, and Greek, stem from this ancient mother language known as Proto-Indo-European, which serves as the progenitor to countless languages, living and dead, from Europe to India. Though this may feel hard to believe, considering the vast differences in geography, religion, and culture, we can spot the connections through language with words like sandalwood. In the same way that sandal was derived from the Sanskrit chandra, it is also connected to the Latin candere, which means to glow. It's the root that gave the English language words like candle and incendiary. Considering what sandalwood is used for, it might be easier to think that it's just a more South Asian way of saying candlewood. Ultimately, sandalwood belongs to the genus Santalum, which is found within the overall sandalwood plant family known as Santalaceae. Again, we see this same root word showing up in different forms. The sandalwood family is home to around a thousand different plant species, but the only one you're likely to recognize is mistletoe. 
Yes, the mistletoe that is hung up around Christmas time that encourages you to kiss whoever you find yourself with underneath it. Mistletoe is not a tree. It is a semi-parasitic bush thing that grows in the branches of trees. This characteristic of being semi-parasitic is something common across the sandalwood family, as we will soon learn with our topic tree. The Centellum genus, where we find the quote-unquote true sandalwoods, is made up of around 20 tree species that grow from India to Southeast Asia to Australia and the Pacific Islands as far out as Hawaii. There's not just one sandalwood tree used for incense, at least not in the modern day. The primary species in India is the Indian sandalwood, scientifically Santalum alba. But these days, the sandalwood scent can also come from the Australian sandalwood, Santalum spicata, as well as three different sandalwood species that grow on the Hawaiian islands. There's also several other tree species that are called sandalwood because they are also oily and produce a similar fragrance. But they are genetically separate and aren't classified in the same botanical group. Our true sandalwoods are relatively small trees, their heights maxing out around 30 feet or 10 meters tall, while commonly only growing to around half that height. Due to growing in mostly tropical and subtropical environments, they are broadleaf evergreens. There's not really a winter season for them to drop their leaves, so they just stay on all year long. For reproduction, the sandalwood produces clusters of tiny flowers that, when pollinated, produce clusters of tiny fruits. These tiny fruits are made up of almost entirely seed, with a thin, fleshy coating encasing them. They're basically just bird food. One really interesting characteristic of sandalwood trees is their roots. This is how these trees fit into their overall family, with that common trait of semi-parasitic behavior. Semi-parasitic plants obtain their nutrients from a combination of normal photosynthesis and feeding on a host as opposed to full parasitism, where the species gets all of its nutrients from a host it feeds on. The sandalwood roots will stretch outwards underground in search of other nearby plant roots. They'll actually latch on to these other root systems and suck out the nutrients those plants have taken in. So if you plan on having a sandalwood in your garden, you'll need to grow it near other plants that it can feed on in order for it to do well best to just not plant it near other trees that you like a lot, but rather grasses or shrubs. Now, the characteristic that gives the sandalwood such notoriety is its wood. It's yellow and very oily. I've talked about oily trees before with the eucalyptus and the juniper, but the primary purpose of this feature is a sort of pesticide defense mechanism. The oil content in sandalwood increases with age, so older trees are going to be smellier. But oiliness is also just a genetic factor, so different trees are going to be oilier than others. But imagine you're in a forest, when you're hit with a powerful fragrance, a good fragrance. Naturally, you may investigate the smell and find yourself drawn to this specific tree. Good smells make us happy. It's why we like having flowers around, or may prefer a natural Christmas tree over fake, or just love filling our houses with scented candles. When humans first got a whiff of this good smelly tree, they thought it was a gift.
sandalwood is thought to have been first used by humans over 4,000 years ago. It's uncertain if the first uses were for practical medicinal purposes or more spiritual religious reasons. As for medicinal treatments, sandalwood oil and sandalwood powder and paste have been used largely as an anti-inflammatory and antiseptic. It helps disinfect, it eases coughs, it can treat UTIs, there's a number of purposes this tree has served. It also apparently helps you sleep, helps your memory, and acts as an antidepressant and aphrodisiac. And of course, sandalwood oil works as a natural insect repellent, considering that's what the tree itself uses it for. I'm unsure how many of these applications are truly effective, and how many of them work because the good smell makes you feel good. But alongside all these traits, or perhaps because of these traits, sandalwood gained prevalence in many of the religions that got their start in the Indian subcontinent, one of the biggest being Hinduism. Sandalwood's use in Hinduism is thought to be as old as the Hindu faith itself, back before the word Hinduism was even used. The primary purpose of sandalwood was in anointing, the act of blessing people or objects with various liquids, typically fragrant oils derived from plants like the sandalwood tree. It's a similar process to how Catholics use holy water to bless things. It is said that sandalwood is used by the gods themselves to anoint one another, like how I might let my buddy use my cologne that smells like a pile of wood so he feels like his best woodsy self. There's even a story about how one of the Hindu gods is made from sandalwood. It is said that the goddess Parvati wanted a child, but her partner Shiva was always a bit of a vagabond and never around to help her make a child. So Parvati said, fine, I'll just make a baby on my own. And she took some of the sandalwood paste that she was wearing on her skin, mixed it with some soil, and shaped it into a baby. She breathed life into it, and thus Ganesha was born. Ganesha is often depicted in Hindi art as having an elephant's head, but that's a whole other story involving Shiva coming home ten years later and cutting off Ganesha's head and Parvati needing to find a replacement. Anyway, sandalwood oil, sandalwood paste, and the sandalwood itself is used for a number of practices throughout the lives of the people of India. It can bless a baby when it is born, it is the wood burned for a funeral pyre when someone dies, it can be a gift to guests in your home or a tribute given to the gods. Sculptures of the various Hindu gods and other religious figures are often carved out of the yellow wood from this tree. And this practice is one example of how the spiritual use of sandalwood spread to other faiths. Buddhism first began in ancient India sometime around the 5th century BCE. Shortly after the enlightenment of the Buddha and the conception of this faith, we see physical icons start to appear and act as its religious symbols. We've likely all seen those big happy Buddha statues in one form or another, right? The first statue of the Buddha is thought to have been carved out of sandalwood. More and more of these statues were carved out of this fragrant yellow wood and were carried around to act as a stand-in for the Buddha himself if he couldn't be physically present in your home or temple. I imagine this practice first started based on the Hindu practice of carving their gods from sandalwood, even though the Buddha isn't considered a god. Another use for sandalwood in Buddhism was as incense, you know, where we get the tree's name. 
Sandalwood has historically been one of the most common incense woods burned during meditation, as it is thought to clear the mind of negative thoughts and engage focus. This scent is why I believe sandalwood was thought of as having properties like that of an antidepressant. And I don't think it has anything to do with what is in the wood or oil itself, but rather that the fragrance is so strong that it gives you a sensory focal point. When you can align your attention onto a singular sensory experience, it makes it easier to keep your attention away from more undesirable thoughts and feelings. As Buddhism spread across the Asian continent, so too did the use of sandalwood. Buddhism had a knack of integrating itself into the various belief systems in China, Japan, and beyond, and one aspect that blended with these cultures was the use of incense. And while many religions took to the good smells, Taoism was originally opposed to sandalwood specifically. Sure, Taoists burned incense, but according to a Taoist scripture from the Ming Dynasty, immortals believed that sandalwood belonged to barbarians of a foreign land and should not be burned in high rituals. So there was a little pushback, establishing sandalwood as an Indian thing and not a Chinese thing. But this aversion to sandalwood was not universal and did not last long. Several scriptures since then have incorporated sandalwood and given it the same importance as incense and oil that other fragrant plants get. And while Buddhism helped spread the sandalwood east, trade would send the sandalwood west. We see sandalwood holding significance in the ancient Persian faith known as Zoroastrianism. Zoroastrianism is a belief system that places a lot of significance on fire, so burning a good-smelling wood naturally fits in among the list of things that would make them happy. Around this same area, Islamic Sufism, a sort of mystical subsect of the religion, also incorporated sandalwood into their practices. Sandalwood paste is often used to decorate physical icons, including the footprints of the Prophet Muhammad. So despite my claims from earlier, I suppose the sandalwood does have something to do with feet. Considering how Islamic culture spread to the Indian subcontinent, specifically the region known today as Pakistan, I imagine the integration of sandalwood into this corner of Islamic faith was primarily due to its crossover with Indian culture, a sort of meeting and sharing of ideas. Because we see almost no shared inclusion of sandalwood in the other Abrahamic faiths of Christianity and Judaism, where there are otherwise many similarities. Sandalwood is just about absent in Jewish tradition, and there is but a single mention of the tree in the Bible, where its oil is used as part of the entombment process of Jesus Christ. And even this example is thought to be borrowed from yet another culture, the ancient Egyptians. When trade brought the Indian sandalwood to Egypt, it was incorporated as an embalming fluid as part of the mummification process. At this point, I should mention that all of this tree's cultural significance across the continent of Asia so far is just from one of these sandalwood species, which is native to India. There's still more in other parts of the world. The Australian sandalwood saw similar importance with the aboriginal populations across that island continent wherever it grew. They would have used it for much of the same purposes, medicinal applications and as fragrance. They also historically ate the seeds of the sandalwood tree like you would nuts. Apparently they're a good substitute for the macadamia nut. When European settlers explored Western Australia in the early 1800s, they recognized the potential of these sandalwood species here, 
and this became the primary form of sandalwood that was then traded to China, rather than the Indian species. Around this same time, something similar was happening over in Hawaii. With their three sandalwood species, Hawaii established a strong trade link with the Chinese province of Canton. The sandalwood export was so profitable for the Hawaiians that they started replacing a lot of their cropland with these trees. Cropland that really should have gone towards food that they could eat. And yet, demand for the sandalwood continued to increase, leading to the planting of more and more trees, as well as the need to harvest the trees when they were still too young. I mentioned earlier how the oil content of the sandalwood increases with age, so once they started selling the younger wood, they didn't get as much money for it. This trend of unhealthy sandalwood trade lasted for over a decade, and due to increased food stability, harsh labor conditions, and environmental impacts from the expansion of sandalwood plantations, Hawaii saw a decline in population with socioeconomic difficulties that lasted long after other products took back the export share in the mid-1830s. Elsewhere, the sandalwood trade scene has progressively grown darker and darker. In 1972, the Sultan of Mysore in India declared sandalwood as the royal tree of India, and the government claimed ownership of every sandalwood tree, even those on private land. They basically established a monopoly on sandalwood production. But this wasn't going to stop people from making money on this fabulously important product, so a lot of production now takes place on the black market. And when that happens, there's no regulation on things like labor laws and conservation practices, which is creating a lot of humanitarian and ecological issues. And because conservation is not taken account into these matters, the price of sandalwood has soared due to decreasing availability. This has actually led most of the global trade to switch to producers in Australia. So more likely than not, that's where your sandalwood-scented products are coming from. There's a few different ways your sandalwood products may have come to be as well. If you've got some sandalwood incense, well, that's just the wood itself. Little sticks of sandalwood that you burn, which releases the fragrance that's held in the oil of the wood. I've also mentioned sandalwood paste, and that just comes from grinding the wood down into that pasty consistency. You also grind down the wood as a means to extract the essential oil of the sandalwood tree, which is the most widespread form of this product internationally. You don't just lop off a branch and grind it down, either. You cut down the whole tree and pulverize the whole thing. Not the most sustainable wood-based product in comparison to something like cork or rubber that can be extracted numerous times throughout a tree's life. One other method of extracting the essential oil is by steam distillation, which I go into more depth on when I talk about essential oils in my episode about the juniper. In the modern day, there's a bit of a dichotomy when it comes to how the sandalwood impacts the world. It is a part of practices that are centered around peace, love, and positive intentions. And yet, much of its production almost negates the good that it does in our lives. But it is believed that regardless, the sandalwood will continue to do good. An old Hindu proverb even presents it as the embodiment of good itself. For though the axe may strike the sandalwood, the sandalwood merely responds by fragrancing the axe. And this is something we should try to embody as well, whether by thought alone or in meditation while burning some sandalwood incense. 
the world is full of axes that will try to cut into you. The Sandalwood believes the good thing to do is to continue making the world a better place, with good deeds or just good smells, no matter what harm is done to you. Coming soon to my Patreon is a series of bonus videos or audio clips that I'm calling Tree Walks with Thomas. It'll be me going into the woods, finding trees that I like, and talking about identifiable features and why I think it's neat. I hope to release these for patrons in the Tree Huggers tier on alternating Tree Tuesdays between full episodes. And even if you're just able to join the Seedling tier, you still get access to my episodes early and my production updates, as well as contribute to the sustainable charity of the quarter. At the end of March, one-fifth of what has been pledged to me will be donated to the American Chestnut Foundation. To join at either tier, just visit patreon.com slash myfavoritetrees. This month is also special for another incredible tree species, the sable palmetto. It's the state tree of both Florida and South Carolina, who both celebrate statehood slash independence days in the month of March. On March 21st, I'll be revisiting whether or not palm trees are actually trees, why exactly these southeastern states are so enamored by them, and the continuing battles over the palmetto as an iconic symbol. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their awesome stuff at academygarden.bandcamp.com. My cover art is by at BoomerangBrit on Instagram. My script editor and social media manager is the wonderful Lori Hilburn. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at MyFavoriteTrees or on Instagram at TreePodcast. You can support me directly by joining my Patreon at patreon.com slash myfavoritetrees or donate directly to a sustainable organization like the ones found on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love and give it a hug. Bye.